Do you ever wonder, am I missing something? Is there something I'm not aware of, something I don't know? I watch other people. I'm seeing other people. Maybe I'm missing something. You ever feel like that? Maybe that's the story of your life. Is there something I'm missing, something I'm not getting? Well, I'll just tell you, that's how I feel when I look at the subject that we've been looking at, these seven messages. Uh, today, the most popular preachers, uh, I could give you a list of them. You would recognize their names. Uh, they go this way. They follow these teachings. Today, the most popular religious authors, if you see books these days, uh, they are written by folks that have these belief set, this belief set. Today, this thought has taken over most, and I'll just tell you, if not all of our Southern Baptist uh, seminaries, much of the staff and the presidencies as well. Today, the heads of our Southern Baptist mission agencies, they hold these doctrines as true. They follow these teachings. Uh, today, I will just tell you, if you go looking for churches, it's going to be almost impossible to find one uh, that hasn't taken up this belief set. Now, that is the thing that's happened in the last 10 years, really the last 20 years. Uh, you'll have a hard time finding a church, going to some town or some city uh, that hasn't taken up uh, these beliefs. And I'm wondering, uh, as I see that, I watch that, I'm wondering, am I missing something? Is there something I do not do know, something I'm not getting? Do you know as early as the gospel was preached, actually right from the very start, there have always been attempts to change it, to adapt it, to refit it to a certain set of people right from the start. That has always been the truth of the gospel. There's always been folks that came along and said, you know what, we need to change this a little bit. We need to refit this for our ears. One of the first attacks, one of the first threats was known as Gnosticism. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons that John writes his gospel Remember when we went through that study last year, he writes uh, to remind the people who Jesus is to set the record straight on that and to remind them of the truth of what the gospel is. And so he actually writes his gospel as a response to the threat of Gnosticism. Well, Gnosticism is the belief in a secret knowledge or maybe a deeper knowledge or, or some greater insight into the truth of God. And these teachings come along and they, they teach the idea there's a, a deeper knowledge of God. There's a secret understanding of God. And it was intriguing to the people. It was appealing to the people. Uh, some of the folks had it and they reveled in it. I have this deep under secret understanding of God. Some people were seeking to gain it. And that's what they talked about, and that's what they studied. Others, sadly, were without it. They don't have the secret knowledge of God. They don't have the deep insight of God. But when I think about Reformed theology or Calvinism, I think it is a lot like that. In fact, you will find most of its teachers will tell you, if you read their testimonies, they will tell you they were saved by the regular old gospel. And that's what they'll say. I, I was saved under this gospel. Well, 
In fact, that's the only way to be saved if anybody's ever been saved. But then they will say, after I was saved, then as I studied, and as I read this set of books, as I read what some of the church fathers said, as I, as I, I was trained and taught by other people, as I was shown some of these teachings, that in the part of a growing process, they became Calvinists, reform, holders of Reformed theology. And I'll just tell you, that's the story over and over again. In fact, I can't find really anybody that would tell you a different story. They were saved in the hearing of the gospel, and then somehow there was a deeper knowledge that was found out. Well, doesn't that sound a lot like the first century threat? A deeper understanding, a more intellectual conclusion. I think it's interesting. Many of the thoughts found in Calvinism, uh, Reformed theology, start with a guy named Augustine. Uh, he was an interesting man, but if you go and read uh, the story of Augustine, he was a man who was greatly influenced by Gnosticism. Well, let me just tell you tonight, we're getting ready to start up here. Let me just tell you this. The truth of our gospel is deep. The truth of our gospel is rich in its understanding. And I'll just tell you that the gospel is beautiful to know. It is beautiful to study. It is beautiful to think about. But I want you to hear me. But it is not secret. It's not available to some and closed off to other people. And I want to tell you tonight, the best thing is this. To all people and for all people, Oh, the gospel is beautiful. Oh, it is deep. But I want to tell you the greatest thing is this. For all people, our gospel is good news. You know what Satan wants to snatch away? The good news. You know what Satan wants to make unavailable? The good news. Well, I want to tell you the marvelous thing about our gospel tonight is it for all people is good news. Well, tonight is our seventh and concluding message in this sermon, Troubled by Tulip, uh, our message tonight is entitled, Good News, There Is Good News. And I want to tell you, I'm so glad to be able to tell you that tonight. Good news, there is good news. Tonight we're going to look at a set of verses, Luke chapter 2. I think this may be the fourth time I've preached on this set of verses this year. Luke chapter 2, tonight verses 8 through 11. Luke chapter 2, tonight verses 8 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out of the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, listen to this, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come and I'm thankful for good news. I'm thankful for a good Savior. I'm thankful for a gracious King that came and made a way for me, that made a way for us as sinners. Lord, I pray as we 
study tonight, as we talk tonight, as we hear tonight, I pray that we would see you more clearly, that we would understand your gospel more deeply, and I pray we'd be prepared to stand and present in a, in a lost and dark world the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we tell you tonight, thank you. We tell you tonight, we praise you. We tell you tonight, with all that we are, we worship you. We tell you tonight, because you love us, we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight's going to serve really as kind of a wrap-up for all the things that we have discussed. Now, if you've been listening, if you've watched online or been here in person, you know, so far we have looked at the five points of TULIP. It is an acrostic that explains the belief of Reformed theology or of Calvinism. Now, this morning we looked at the sovereignty of God. We looked at how we can understand that God is sovereign, that truth, that God is sovereign, and that man has free will, that he has responsibility for his choices. So we've looked at TULIP, we've looked at the five points of TULIP, and then this morning we've looked at the sovereignty of God. Well, tonight we're going to make a final pass over, and hopefully we're going to be able to tie all of that uh, together. Now before we begin tonight, uh, I want to again address the question, why do this? And I don't know, maybe you're wondering why I do this. Maybe somebody listening online is wondering, why preach these messages? Why go public with this? Uh, why take up what many would call an offensive uh, stand in, in looking at these beliefs? Well, I want to be very clear, and so if you're listening, I want to be very certain, clear, that you understand why I have done this, why we have done this. There are a few reasons. Now, the first reason is this. I've said this all along. The first reason we have looked at this topic is because it is a serious threat. Do not be fooled. It is a serious threat. It is a threat to the mission of the church. It is a threat to the message of the church. And in these days, these critical days before Jesus comes, I want to tell you, I believe it is a ploy of Satan to mislead the church, to misdirect the church away from the true work of the church. In this belief set, the church loses focus and it loses its urgency. So why would we look at this? Because it is a threat. It is a real threat. I believe it is a deception of Satan in these days before Jesus is soon to come. The second reason is because how it is spreading, I believe, is deceptive. Now listen, there's not going to be many folks that will say that. I will say that to you. How it is spreading, I believe, is deceptive. I believe it comes in, and when it does, it is hidden. I believe the language is not clear. I believe it's purposely, purposely ambiguous. I believe people are unsuspecting when it comes in, and I believe when it comes in like that, that it takes hold, and it may be a little bit at a time, but it takes hold, and then it takes root, and then over time it takes control. All of that done in a stealthy movement. Well, let me tell you something. That's not how God works. God says what's done in the light, we should celebrate. 
That's not how God works. Now you say, was that really happening? I want to tell you, it is happening so much, so frequently, that a guy, a man named Danny Aiken, he is a Calvinist. He is one that would hold Reformed theology. He is the president of a Southern Baptist seminary. That man, a Calvinist, actually published a word of rebuke to Calvinist pastors telling them, if this is what you are, be clear in telling people what you are. And that's what he said. That's, it's not right to try to come in and not tell folks what you are. His, his call was when you see a church, when you speak to a search committee, if this is what you hold, it's happening so frequently, he said, you tell them what you believe. Third reason is this. Third reason is this. Nobody, by and large, is saying anything about it. Now, there's some, there are a few, but by and large, we are looking the other way. And I don't know if that's just our makeup. I don't know if we don't want conflict or, or, or whatever the reason is. But by and large, people are saying, well, it's close enough. Well, I'm not sure I understand it. Uh, they're, they're saying, well, it's okay. It, it's, it's fine. It's not worth the trouble. We don't want any conflict here. And that's what most folks are saying. At the same time, these folks are saying this is the truth. They're saying this is the gospel. That's what they say. They're, they're saying this is the picture of God, and this is the picture they are holding up. Let me tell you something. That's not acceptable. And so that's why, here, that's why we are where we are. That's why we, where we're at tonight. Tonight, very quickly, I want to follow our pattern that we've been using by looking at implications. And I think that's been an interesting thing. If you believe something, it bears fruit. Doesn't matter the item, doesn't matter the situation. If you believe something, it bears, it makes an impact. And so we've been looking at, if you hold this belief set, limited atonement, well, here's the impact. Here are the implications. I think it's pretty common. Many times, sometimes, I don't know if we're just in a hurry, we do not connect the two. Well, you believe this, that's fine, but we don't actually walk it out and see the implication of it. And so tonight, for one last time, I want to show us the implications of Calvinism. Listen very carefully. I want to show you the implications of the doctrines of grace or Reformed theology being true. If this belief set is true, I want to show you what the implications of it are. Now, there are many, and that's been one of the things on every one of these. There are many, and this is, these are just some of them. First thing, if Calvinism is true, if the doctrines of grace, the Reformed theology is true, here's the first thing. Our understanding of God changes. If, if this mindset is true, our understanding of God changes. Now, again, we saw this morning, to uphold a faulty idea of sovereignty, many of God's other attributes, many of his other characteristics are surrendered. And so we have to set aside this characteristic for him to be sovereign under this faulty idea. We have to act like we can't see this attribute to uphold this faulty idea. 
justice, mercy, grace, most of all, his goodness cannot exist as we know those words, not going to redefine them, but as we know those words, if these teachings are true. I think it's interesting. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not good. It's not something to gloat in. I think it's interesting. There are many Calvinists, so much so that there's books actually being written about it, that are doing what is called deconstructing their faith. Now, that's a fancy word of saying they are leaving their faith. As they are looking at what they hold of the truth of God, as they are looking at this version of God, they are actually abandoning, walking away from their faith. If God is like this, I don't know if I want to follow him. If he's actually like this, I don't know if I trust him. If God is like this, I don't know if he's worthy of worship. And so as they're seeing this version of God, many of them are actually deconstructing their faith, walking away from their faith, so much so there's being books published on it. All the way through this series, I've talked a lot about John Piper. His son Abraham now says he has left the faith. He has rejected the faith. And he preaches not against Calvinism, He preaches against, as an atheist, Christianity. He has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If Calvinism is true, our understanding of God, as he has told us in his word, collapses. Our understanding of God changes. Next thing is this. If Calvinism is true, and we've seen this really pretty much on every point, if Calvinism is true, God's word is disingenuous, It is not truthful, therefore it is not trustworthy. Now I want you to think about that. If God calls everybody to believe, the Gospel of John says believe, the point of the New Testament is the call to believe, but he doesn't give everybody the ability to believe. That's disingenuous. That's not honest. If if God says he desires that everyone will be saved, he says it in two places. He's patient and kind desiring that none should perish. But he doesn't himself give everybody the opportunity to be saved. That's false. That's disingenuous. If God says, love your neighbor, says, don't show prejudice, and yet we find this morning that he ensures the acts, he causes the acts that are not loving, in fact, that are evil, that doesn't add up. That's not truth. God says he hates sin that he abhors sin, and that's what he says, and yet we find that ultimately he is the cause of it. That doesn't add up. I could go on and on. If Calvinism is true, God's word is disingenuous. It is not truthful, and therefore it is not trustworthy. If these beliefs are true, he and his word do not match. He is schizophrenic. Next tonight, if Reformed theology is true, if the doctrines of grace are true, listen to this. There is no true worship. And maybe you haven't thought of that. Maybe that hadn't hadn't come to mind, but that is the truth. If, If these doctrines are true, there is no true worship. Now, there may be facades of worship, but there's not true worship. Stay with me. Why is that? Because, see this, True worship 
is the response of the heart. It is the free response of the heart. It is not robotic. God says he doesn't want robotic worship. It is not a duty. God says, I don't want worship. That's a duty. And so therefore, for there to be worship, listen, there has to be the opportunity to not worship. And so if God makes you a robot and you're going to see this and you're going to believe this and you're going to worship like this, that's not true worship. For there to be worship, there has to be an opportunity not to worship. Worship is this. Here's my definition 15, 16 years into this. My definition is this. What is worship? Worship is seeing yourself, being honest about yourself, and then seeing God and responding in kind. You know what? I'm a sinner. You know what? I'm hopeless. You know what? I rebelled against you, Lord, but I see you're gracious and I see you're kind and I see you're just and you've taken care of sin in the person of Jesus, but I also see you're gracious and by faith you've offered me salvation by faith in him. It is seeing me and seeing him and responding in worship. I want to tell you something. Forced worship may be loud. It may be impressive, it is not true worship. Here's a big one. We've looked at it kind of earlier. If Calvinism Reformed theology uh, is true, then here's the next part. God does not love most people. God does not love most people. Now listen to me. God in his word, he does this. He ties the expression of his love the demonstration of his love to the cross. He is love. He does love. He says that. But he says if you want to know his love, if you want to see his love, he ties the demonstration of it to the cross. But God demonstrates, the word means makes known, but God makes known, God demonstrates his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. That is his word. And so listen to me. So if Jesus does not want everybody unconditional election, and if he does not die for everybody limited atonement, then from his own standard of his own word, God does not love everyone. I told you this. There's some of those preachers that will actually say, we've got to quit telling people God loves them. You're going to confuse people. You don't know who he loves. You can't do that. We've got to stop telling everybody that God loves them. Now, I could go on and on. I keep saying that every message. But I'm going to stop on this last one. And I will tell you this. Listen very carefully. This is the most not gospel-like. This is the most not Christ-like. And this is the most heartbreaking implication of them all. And that's what I believe, man, these are terrible. I think some of them are blasphemous. But I think this is the most not gospel-like, the most not Christ-like, and the most heartbreaking implication of them all. If Calvinism, Reformed theology, the doctrines of grace are true, most people are hopeless, are helpless, they do not have a Savior, and that is by the will and the design of God. I want you to hear that again. If Calvinism, the Reformed theology, the doctrines of grace are true, 
Most people are hopeless, are helpless. They do not have a Savior, and that is by the will and the design of God. Listen, some of us need to wake up. Some of us need to start standing up. Some of us need to start speaking up. Listen, that is not our God. That is not my gospel. That is not Jesus. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, praise the Lord, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, now we're going to turn the page. So what is the good news? That's been my favorite part. I said that this morning. If we get to see what the truth is not, we get to see what the truth is. And so what is the good news? Now, I want to be sure and I want you to know this and maybe you need to, to put this away somewhere that you could come back to this. But I want you to know this. The gospel, now that is God's word. God uses the word gospel. God's word translates good news. The gospel, by definition, is good news. And so maybe you, we need to remember this. If the version you are hearing is not good news, guess what? It's not the gospel. If the version you're hearing is not good news at all times, in all generations, in all situations, for all people, it is not the gospel. And so here we go tonight. Good news. There is good news. All right, I'm going to tell you three things. Now, remember tonight, why this is a big deal, why this is an issue worth discussing, is because the gospel reveals God. The gospel, what it is, how it works, shows us the reality of who God is. You want to know his heart? Look at the gospel. You want to know his mind? Look at the gospel. And so the good news reveals to us truths about our, our God. So here we go. The good news is this. First point is this. The good news is this. God is loving beyond measure. That's the first point of good news. I want you to hear that. God is loving beyond measure. Friends, listen to me tonight. When I tell you the gospel, I don't have to be sheepish in telling you who God doesn't love. Do you know they have to do that? Well, they got some mixed up words and some ambiguous words. Listen, when I tell you the good news, I can be clear, God loves everybody. I don't have to make up some formula for people he doesn't love. I can be adamant in that. I can be confident in that. Listen, I can be loud in that. He loves all people. All means all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All means all. Listen to me. God loves you. God loves you, saved sinner. God loves you, lost sinner. God loves you, old person, young person, male, female. God loves you. That's his witness. That's his message. God loves you. God is loving 
beyond measure. I should have drank more Gatorade this afternoon. God is loving beyond measure. Second point is this. Here's the second piece of good news. And God is gracious beyond, beyond comprehension. God is gracious beyond comprehension. Listen to me. His grace, it really is amazing. His grace doesn't make any sense. Not to me. It is astounding. It is astonishing, the fullness of that word. When we understand his grace, it is astonishing. We can't outrun his grace. You can't. You can't outsin his grace. We can't. His grace, the, Bible, the, the song we sing says, is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Not deserved, no. Not earned, not merited. It is unlimited. The Bible says it is new every morning. God is gracious beyond comprehension. Whoo, God is gracious beyond comprehension. Let me tell you something, folks. I would hate to be a preacher, and I'll just tell you I wouldn't be, but I would hate to be a preacher that, number one, has to limit the love of God, and number two, worse than that, has to deform the grace of God. And I'll just tell you, it kind of makes me mad the doctrines of grace really are the most graceless thing imaginable unless it's poured out on you. That's not grace. Listen to me. That's prejudice. That's not grace. That's prejudice. The truth is this. God is loving beyond measure. God is gracious beyond comprehension. Now, I want you to think about those words for just a minute tonight. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. I want you to think about that. I want you to listen as I say that again. That is the reality. That is what he has shown us in the cross and the offer of forgiveness by faith and his grace. That is the reality of God. Listen, God is loving beyond measure. God is gracious beyond comprehension. God is loving beyond measure. God is gracious beyond comprehension. And that leads us to the third thing. The truth is, the good news is, God is loving beyond measure. God is gracious beyond comprehension. And so the truth is this. And so God's glory is beyond expression. God's glory is beyond expression. Now, remember, we've looked at their belief set. A whole lot of their, their problem is they're defending things that don't have to be defended. And so if man can make a choice and God has to respond to it, then he's not sovereign. And they're not okay with that. They don't understand what the truth is. They've got a faulty understanding. So defending his, the fact that he is sovereign They've come to all these conclusions. Listen, I want to tell them, you know what? God is sovereign. No matter how you explain it, God is sovereign. And they come along and say, well, if God has to do these things, and if he's less than those things, it robs God of his glory. And if man can make a decision to receive God, and that's not of God, then, then man has some part in it. It robs God of his glory. Let me tell you something. God is glorious beyond measure, beyond description, beyond expression whether we do anything or not.
If I were to set out with the goal to tell you of the glory of God, and I, I've got God's word here, and if I were to set out, that were my task, that were my goal to tell you of the glory of God. I thought about this. How would I tell you about the marvelous glory of God? And I go back and I picture all those scenes in the Bible. The mountain would tremble and the horn would blast. And if they got too close, they would die. And God's glory is there on the mountain. And God's glory in another time fills the temple like smoke. If I could tell you of God's glory, what would I do? And I thought about a lot of things. I, I, I could tell you about creation. I could tell you about him as our creator. And I could talk about how awesome our creation is, how wise he must be, how grand he must be, that there are hearts that beat and there are birds that chirp and there's babies that stay up. And there's grass that grows, and there's stars up in the sky. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? I could tell you of creation. You want to see the glory of God? I could tell you, look at creation. I could tell you how He is true. And I want to tell you in a world that's not true, in a world that's full of falsehood, I could tell you how He is true. And how he is so true that every word he's ever spoken is exactly as it should be has come to pass. I can tie to that that he's not only true, he is righteous and he is good. He is righteous and he is true. And you, you want to know how glorious he is? I can tell you about the, the, the righteousness of God, the trueness of God. Oh, look at his glory. I can tell you about his power. And I thought maybe that's what it'd be. I could tell you about his power. I could tell you about seas that stood up. I could tell you about rivers that ceased flowing. I could tell you about whole armies that were destroyed. I could tell you about a day that the sun stood still. Oh, you want to know the glory of God? I could tell you about the power of God. Or I could tell you about the wisdom of God. Oh, you want to talk about deep? You want to talk about something that's, that's so awesome and it'll blow your mind up you can't understand it? something unfathomable, the riches of the wisdom of God. You want to know the glory of God? Look at his wisdom. I can tell you about the fact that he is eternal. And how awesome is that? We have an eternal God. I think we say that and we don't know the depth of that. He is eternal. Never been a time he didn't exist. Never. He is eternal. Go back and then go back. And then run back and go back. He is eternal. He is before time. He is after time. He is outside of time. He is in time. And the craziest thing, he does that all at the same time. He is eternal. You want to know the glory of God? That is our God. He's outside of time. He's in time. That is our God. I could go on. And on and on. Maybe I should. But you want to know God's glory tonight? To save time and to save words. If I were to tell you of the glory of God, here's what I'd tell you. I'd tell you the gospel. Friend, I'd tell you the gospel. I would tell you there is a God and he is sovereign. He rules over all. 
And I would tell you that he comes to save the God who saves Yeshua, Jesus, the God that comes to save even those who won't believe, even those that would reject him. Does he waste his blood? No. He comes to save even those that won't believe. You want to talk about grace? That's grace. I would tell you about a God that's so loving that he comes to give hope to all people, not leaving any behind, not a woman at a well, not a man up in a tree, not a guy that's blind outside the gates of Jericho. I want to tell you about a God that comes and he gives hope to the ones that have no hope. All means all. He doesn't leave any behind. I want to tell you about a God that's wearing now human flesh, He's nailed to the cross. You and another glory of God, there he is, the Lamb of God stretched out on the cross of Calvary. No sin of his own for no relief that he needed. I would tell you of his rejection, he came into his own, his own received him not. I would tell you that they abandoned him, that he suffered. I would tell you of his blood that ran down from the nails that were driven into him, that ran down, that dripped on the ground, that he created. He's the creator, God. I would tell you of his death. An atonement for all the every sin of every man paid for. Jesus paid it all to tell us that it is paid, it is finished, it is paid. And I would tell you of a morning on the first day of the week, you want to know the glory of God? When the sovereign God, gracious to all sinners, showed demonstrably that he rules over death. You want to know if he's sovereign? He just rules over death. He rules over the grave. He rules over sin. I would tell you, you want to know the glory of God? I would tell you of a tomb that was empty, that was deserted. You want to know the glory of God? I would tell you of a resurrected Savior that stands as the King of kings and Lord of lords that came, the creator of all things, that's Jesus. The sustainer of all things, that's Jesus. The perfect lamb of God, that's Jesus. The one that paid and atoned for all sin, that all might have hope, that's Jesus. The one nailed to the cross to pay for it all, my ugly sin, that's Jesus. The one put in a tomb, stone cold dead, the payment for sin, that's Jesus. The one that walks out of the grave, the savior, the risen lamb, the king of kings, that is Jesus. You want to know the glory of God? Look at Jesus. The good news tonight is this. Listen, there's good news. World spinning out of control. Tough stuff all around us. The good news tonight is this. There is good news. His name is Jesus. God is glorious. Beyond our description, praise the Lord. There is good news. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. Oh, and I'm thankful for good news. I'm thankful for truth that's like an anchor, for truth that's like bedrock, for truth that we can trust Jesus, the truth. I'm thankful for there's hope for every sinner, for every person. I'm thankful that there's offered in the grace of God a savior, a remedy, peace, reconciliation through Jesus. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged in this. I pray that we've been renewed in this. And Lord, I pray for somebody that doesn't know you, that today in the hearing of this good news, 
They would trust you. They would turn to you. Repenting of their sin, turning to you. And in the grace of God, by faith alone, they would be saved tonight. Lord, work. Lord, we just come. And we just tell you, we are thankful. We exalt you. We, we want to bless your name. We want to truly worship you. I pray as we close out this service, I pray that these sermons have made an impact in our hearts. I pray that they've made an impact in our church. I pray that they make an impact in our actions. And I pray, Lord, that they make an impact for the glory of God. Beliefs have implications. May the implication of this be glory to Jesus. Lord, we tell you we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response a time of invitation. If you're here, if you're listening in some other way and you've never trusted Christ, the Bible says he is your hope, he is your remedy, he is your Savior. If you'll turn to him, trusting him as your Savior, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says, you will be saved. If you've never trusted Christ, do it tonight. Settle it tonight. If you need more information, you come. Don't leave here. Let's settle that tonight. There is hope in Jesus. If you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, you believe God has led you here. You come together. Let's unite. Let's carry his word. Let's point to him until he comes again. If you're here and you need to follow believers' baptism, what an awesome thing to say. You know what? I've trusted Christ, but I want this testimony to stand, not as part of my salvation, but in testimony to the Savior of it. You come as well. Maybe you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you want to pray for the 30-day effort coming up. We're not in a hurry to be anywhere. As we stand to sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.